Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read together from Joshua chapter 11. When Jabin king of Hazor heard of this, he sent to Jobab king of Madan, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah south of Kinneroth, and in the low land, and in the Nephoth door on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde, in number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came, and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. And Yahweh said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And Yahweh gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as the great Sidon and Mizrephoth Maim, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as Yahweh said to him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed, and he burned Hazor with fire. And all the cities of those kings and all their kings... Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction, just as Moses the servant of Yahweh had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on mounds did Israel burn except Hazor alone, that Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder, but every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they did not leave any who breathed. Just as Yahweh had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that Yahweh had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hill country, and all the Negev, and all the land of Goshen, and the low land, and the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel, and its low land from Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir, as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings, and struck them, and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was Yahweh's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, in order that they should be devoted to destruction, and should receive no mercy but be destroyed, just as Yahweh commanded Moses. And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that Yahweh had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. This is the word of the Lord. Now, remember that this is really, if you were listening yesterday, this is the opposite side of that text. So you have chapter 10 and 11 being the conquest 
of the promised land that the Lord has given. So if you haven't listened to chapter 10, I'd encourage you to take a listen to that one. I'm going to keep this one shorter today because it is briefer. Um, and again, it's just a it's just the same kind of information. So yesterday they took the southern half of the promised land. Today they're taking the northern half, and it's a very similar pattern. It is a war of divine judgment. These tribes, these peoples have had the opportunity for hundreds of years to repent and to trust in Yahweh, and they haven't. And just as the Lord can choose to judge his creation whenever he pleases, because he is the righteous judge and we have all wronged him, he has chosen to bring his judgment at this time on these peoples. We thank the Lord for his mercy. We thank the Lord that in Jesus Christ our sins are forgiven and that rather than facing his judgment, we get to see his mercy. He had shown these people mercy for hundreds of years, though, and they didn't repent. So it's not that they are without excuse. They are not. They have no excuse for their sin. They deserved this punishment. They even had the opportunities to repent and didn't. It's helpful to have a map for you. So Lutheran Study Bible, page 357, has a map. They tuck the northern conquest in the top left corner of that page. And then also, like I had recommended to you yesterday, I'll point it out again. It seems like it could be helpful, this hand-drawn map website, generationword.com backslash maps.htm. And if you scroll down to Joshua chapter 11, you will see a map titled Joshua's Northern Campaign, and you see this hand-drawn map uh, that this man made. So might be of use, might be beneficial. What you're actually going to have with most of these places is that it's fairly unknown, right? We we don't see a lot of these names elsewhere. Hazor is going to come up again a couple of times, but it'll end up being somebody else's name later on is why you see it more often. Ms. where was it? Ms. Rafoth Mame, that'll show up in chapter 13, but that's the only other time in scripture it appears. So, Again, just picture this as the whole northern half. So you, you see the, the salt sea on the southern end of the Jordan River, and you have the Jordan River, and then on the northern end you have the Sea of Canareth, which in the New Testament is the Sea of Galilee. So all of the land to the west of those two seas, basically, and a little bit to the north as well, and it sounds like from yesterday's text to the south of it too, um, that they, they are taking all of this land as the promised land that the Lord is giving to them. So, chapter 9, the first couple of verses, we saw the idea that the kings were coming together to make a final stand against Israel out of fear, really. But then we had a, a, a pause from that, and we went to see the men who deceived Israel into making a covenant with them of peace. Those guys actually show up in this text in chapter 19. There's no peace with any city except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. That's the, the people they made that covenant with in chapter 9. Other than that, every other northern kingdom is going to be wiped out. So you've got a list here. Similar lists have been elsewhere in the, in the book already of who they are de defeating in this. But notice first that all of these ally themselves. They come against Israel for battle, and they number, verse 4, like the sand that is on the seashore. Very many horses and chariots. Might ask your children, who else or you know, what other group is described in Scripture as being like the sand on the seashore? Uh, it could be a reference to the descendants of Abraham, the promise that God made 
going all the way back to Genesis 13, that his descendants would be as numerous as the dust of the earth or the stars of the heavens, if you could count such things. This is a similar depiction um, right here. Good luck counting the grains of sand at the beach if you ever go. This is an intimidating foe, right? But just like the Lord promised he would bless his people with such numbers, he has also promised that he is going to give this land to that people. And there's no force of men that can stop that from happening. In fact, this kind of reminds me of the book of Revelation in chapters 19 and 20 both. You get the picture of a battle, war being brewing between God and the devil, that the devil musters all of his troops. He musters all the forces of this earth to fight one final battle against God and nothing. The battle never occurs. It's just over. As soon as the forces have gathered, they're defeated by God. They're destroyed. They're judged. The forces of this earth, not even spiritual, like the devil and his demons, the forces of this earth cannot stand against the Lord. So when he brings his judgment, they stand judged, condemned. So the Lord speaks such to Joshua, right? Verse 6, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. It's the fifth time, if I'm counting correctly in the book, that God has instructed his people to not be afraid or that he has had Joshua instruct the people in the same way. That phrase is showing up. So they do it, right? They fight against them at Merom. Uh, this battle takes place. That's going to be up past the Sea of Kinnereth. Kinnereth. Interestingly enough, that might be close to where Jesus does most of his ministry in Galilee in the New Testament. Anyway... Um, they end up defeating them, and then they chase them as far as the great Sidon. Sidon is a city on the Mediterranean Sea off to the northwest. Tyre shows up on that map in the Lutheran Study Bible. Sidon is further north on the, Red, on the Mediterranean Sea than Tyre is. Mizrafoth Maim seems to be in between Tyre and Sidon, uh, from what I can tell. And then eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah, which could be over there by that tiny sea. So you've got the Sea of Canareth to the north on the Jordan River, and then the river extends just a little bit, and you have another body of water that is there as well. So what we then find in verse 10 is that as they're returning on the way back from the valley of Mizpah to the east, they cross Hazor, and they defeat Hazor there. All the, the king and all of his troops or whatever may have been there. It's interesting. It seems like they should have been out there, right? Um, but he struck its king with the sword. Hazor is mentioned as being the head of all those kingdoms. So this is up by just a little bit past the Sea of Canareth. The support here from our archaeology shows that there was quite an impressive city there around that time. So extra-biblical, outside of God's word, support from history. We see these things. Archaeology regularly supports what we find in God's word, and that's a beautiful tool and a thing we call apologetics, a help for defending our faith, to know that what's in Scripture is actual history. That's beneficial to us to help us fight back against the devil's temptations of doubt. So he struck them all down. They burned the cities. Uh, they, they destroyed the people devoted to destruction as they were supposed to, as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded. That goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2. 
to see that. But they didn't burn down the cities that were on mounds. So high up, defensible. It seems like Israel chose to settle in those. It doesn't say that here, but what else, right? Um, You wouldn't just leave a defensible city in your territory for some raiding group to occupy and then have to fight against. It's hard to say, though. They They spoil, they take the spoil, the plunder from these cities and the livestock. And then we come down to chapter, well, the paragraph starting at verse 16. Joshua takes all the land. Again, this is that whole, this is a summary now of both chapters, chapter 10 and 11. All these places to the south, to the north, this whole area, the promised land. Captured all the kings, put them all to death, made war a long time with all those kings. This didn't happen overnight for Israel. Uh, in fact, it took at least five years. It's hard to know for certain. Uh, we're going to see that two, three chapters from now. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 10. Caleb is going to describe how old he was when Moses sent him as a spy into the promised land. He was 40. And how old he is now that they've actually occupied this and come into this state that they are now in as the owners of the promised land at God's hand. And he's 85 by that point. So 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, 85 minus 40 minus 40 would give you five. But if he's sent as a spy somewhere in that 40 years, that would add a little length to that five. The study Bible suggests seven years here. All right, no mercy, but instead judgment. Time for God's judgment upon them. He, he hardened their hearts. There's a connection there to the book of Exodus. Pharaoh, who hardened his heart against the Lord and God's people the first five times, but after that, the Lord hardened his heart. So he had his chance to repent. God's judgment is firmly placed against Pharaoh at that point, hardens his heart the rest of the way in order to prove to the rest of Egypt that he alone is God so that they would trust in him instead of all their false gods. Something similar here. These people have had their opportunity for repentance. They haven't. So the Lord hardens their hearts so that they come out to battle. They come to the field for judgment. And the Lord is the one who strikes them down. We have a note about the Anakim as well as another tribe, another group of people that Joshua fights against. And they lived in Philistia as well. So Gaza, Gath, Ashdod, those are on your map, going to be to the southwest by the Mediterranean Sea. And they don't drive that out. That land not given over to Joshua and to Israel at this point. And Philistia is going to be a thorn in the flesh to use a biblical phrase, for Israel for many years to come. It'll be King David who fights against them quite prevalently when you get to his, his time as king. But you'll see them showing up in the book of Judges also, which is the time immediately following Joshua's leadership over the people. But at this point, God gives the land rest from war. God has given the promised land to his people, just as he had promised them over 600 years prior in the time of Abram. This is a wonderful opportunity to reflect with your children what promised land has the Lord promised to you. And that would be the new heaven and the new earth that are discussed in places like the near the end of the prophet Isaiah's writings, 2 Peter chapter 3, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Jesus mentions it in the gospel accounts as well. So this new heaven, this new earth that the Lord is preparing a a place for you to be with him forevermore. 
I think that's John chapter 14. If he's preparing a place for you, he will certainly also come to take you to be with him there. Thank the Lord that he is good and he keeps his promises. Amen. Thank you.